0: Well, we're nearing the end of our journey here in the book of Joshua, and if you want to turn to the 23rd chapter tonight, a message that I've entitled Carry On My Wayward Sons. Now, for you 70s rockers, you remember that song from Kansas, amen? Carry on my wayward sons. You know, I I just I love that song. It's got an acapella intro even to it. Um but there there is a, a message in that song. There will be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. And those those words are rather indicative of the children of Israel as they've now come to the end of this season of fighting. They've been in the land now for some years, and Joshua is going to call them back together. And as he calls them back together, he's going to give them some final words. And as he gives these final words, uh, they are the things that he would leave them with. And one of my last conversations with Pastor Chuck, he was very certain that his time here on this earth was not going to be a bunch longer. And as he, he, we were talking about just ministry and all those things, and he just simply looked at me and he said, you're going to be fine. And, And... the last words that you receive from great people are usually indicative of their character and usually indicative of the life that they've lived. There's a Civil War general that I love. He's the highest ranking general to be actually killed in the field of battle, General John Sedgwick. He was a Union commander. and He was killed in 1864. But the the battle there at Spotsylvania Courthouse, the, the men of the Union Army were kind of afraid of what was going on on the Confederate side. And as he was looking at the men cowering behind fences and walls, and he, he finally got up on his horse and began riding out in front of them, and, and, and he was remarked to have said, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance, and he was dead. He didn't finish the word distance. He was shot through the head, dropped over dead. He was remembered for those words. Very brave man. He was trying to encourage the Union soldiers to push forward. Uh, Karl Marx's last words in the contrary were, Go on, get out of here. Words are for fools that haven't said enough already. You see those words that we speak at the end of our lives much like Leonardo da Vinci. And for those of you that know the works, the artworks, I mean, not only was he a great inventor, but he was a tremendous painter. You might know a couple of the paintings he painted, like The Last Supper, uh, The Mona Lisa. You know, he was a fairly good artist. Uh, he was very famous for his renderings of the Madonna and child, Jesus and his mom, if you will. And he said at the end of his life, I have offended God and mankind because of my work. It did not reach the quality that it should have. That's, that's a humble guy that realizes that the things that happen in our lives very often are nothing more than the result of God's goodness to us. And so Joshua here in his final moments on earth, and we'll be here in this chapter and the next for three more studies, and then we're on to the book of Revelation. Joshua would now address the people, and he does that from a very specific place, because he had fought the good fight. Uh, He absolutely could say with the Apostle Paul that he finished his course, he kept the faith. It was very clear from his life, the way he lived it, uh, what he stood for, the character that he had. And you know, really at the end of the day, the only thing that we get to take with us is our character in Christ. Amen? And all the stuff stays here. Even the great achievements actually stay here. We may be rewarded for them if they're honoring to the Lord when we get to heaven. Maybe that's one of those crown-related things that we'll get at the Bema Seat. But really we get to take that Christ-like character with us and when we get there, it will be made full. Amen? We'll actually be fully like Christ. I can't wait for that day. I still have some flesh. Still got a few things that I I know the Lord would like to change in my life. And I'm grateful when he does that work. But Joshua, the son of Nun, had, had really lived his life for the Lord. And he had unashamedly lived his life for the Lord. And I ask you that question as we begin tonight. Are you unashamedly living your life for the Lord? You're going to see a repeated couple of phrases, and we'll touch more on this next week. But you're going to see the Lord God. You're going to see that that as the children of Israel, specifically Joshua, instructs them, he uses, uses the phrase from the Hebrew, Yahweh Adonai. And I believe he does that for a reason. Because he's not just the creator. He's not just the author of life. He's not simply the great I am. He's not the uncaused cause of everything else. He's not merely the word. He is Yahweh Adonai. He is the Lord God who is the master. And I think as we look at these last two chapters, it's probably the key thing to take with us on this journey over these next few weeks, that God doesn't want to simply be the almighty eternal being in our lives. He wants to be the master of our lives. He wants to control and to cause us to be used of him in great and wonderful ways. He wants us to be the center and the focus of our daily lives. And, and, and so as he works in us to will and to do and ultimately to accomplish his good pleasure, we want him to be the Lord God. That's the role he desires for us. And so Joshua is going to now emphasize that. And before he leaves this earth, like all great leaders, he has a few final words. And he wants to challenge them. And he challenges them to do two basic things, to love the Lord and to keep his commandments. Would you pray with me? Father, what a blessing it is for us to just come tonight and spend some time in your word, Lord, just studying, reading, pondering and praying over. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to help us put aside the distractions of this day, maybe this week, this month, these holidays that we've some of us simply endured. Lord, we ask that you would draw us near to your heart tonight and speak to us as your children. Lord, whisper wonderful things in our ears, God. We are so grateful that you would choose to love us. And so, God, we thank you for that love. May we love you tonight in return. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Joshua 23, And now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their enemies round about, that Joshua was old and advanced in age. He is an old man, but he is a wise man. He may not be able to fight the fight in the physical sense, but he can fight the fight in the spiritual sense. And so he's going to pass on what I believe is really the role of how we who are aging in ministry need to look at our own lives and pass along what God has done in us. There's something that's become very, very important to me in these last couple of years, and that's to realize I'm not going to be here forever. That the Lord has a, a time, it's been appointed unto man, unto Jeff, one time to die and then judgment. I don't know when that is, but I know going forward should the Lord tarry that he doesn't want his work to stop with me. I know that he doesn't want this church built on me. I know that what he wants to do is for me to impart what he has done in my life to others, so that the ministry would actually grow flourish and prosper should God take me home and that is the view that Joshua has here he's not looking to to hang on he's looking to let go and so it's a beautiful picture that we find here in this chapter and Joshua called for all of Israel for their elders their heads for their judges for all their officers and he said to them I am old and I am advanced in age. He he reminds them of where he's at in life. And so what he's really doing here is kind of calling, you know, a Hebrew staff meeting, if you will. He calls them to Shechem. And if you remember the place of Shechem, it was the place where Joshua himself had actually built an altar. It was the place that they had met previously, that valley that lies between these two wonderful mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, these two places where you could hear the blessings and the cursings of the Lord. You could hear, if you do right unto the Lord, these things are you yours, and if you do wrong unto the Lord, these things will surely come upon you as a curse. It's that beautiful picture of the balance that we have between God's grace and His inevitable uh, desire for us to understand that He must judge sin. And so, no matter where you stand on that spectrum of which is more important, the Lord finds it so important that He places the children of Israel for this message between the two mountains, between the blessings of God and between the cursings of God, between what you gain in obedience and what you will surely have on your life should you disobey the Lord. And He will deliver the rest of this message in that place. And that place was a place of worship. That is where they met God to worship Him between those two mountains, not just over here in the blessings, and definitely not over here because I've been disobedient, but between the two mountains, he speaks to them at Shechem. And he gives this farewell address. And he basically gives them really just two scenarios. obey the Lord, enjoy the blessings disobey the Lord, you're going to have some issues. And family of God, I know it's not popular, but I think at times we forget to remind one another that blessings come from obedience, and you can surely rest that the Lord's word is true, and that if you want to be chastened, that comes through disobedience. And so Joshua is going to give them the whole counsel of God's word as he finishes this wonderful address. He's going to speak first to this group, and in chapter 24, he's going to give us another address. In the first part of that, the Lord himself will speak to the children of Israel. It will be Joshua's voice, but it will be the words of the Lord. And basically what he's saying here is, is your job's not done. Just because I'm dying. Just because the battles have been fought. Just because we're now resting in the land. I think all of us at times in our lives, in our walk with the Lord, can look at our lives and say, man, I'm kind of just coasting. I'm kind of just along for the ride. Things are good. And there's nothing wrong with things being good. Please don't mistake what I'm saying here. It's good that the Lord is good to his people. Amen? Amen. But sometimes the goodness of the Lord can become a hindrance to us hearing His voice. When we see some of those daily struggles, when things are too good, very often we stop praying. We stop listening to the Lord. We stop seeking after His heart. And I think He's really trying to be gentle here with the people. He's trying to instruct the elders, Look, guys, the war may be over right now but the battle isn't going to be over until you're home till you're in heaven and though it's time of peace we need to be ready for what lies ahead and he's going to do that as he speaks to them of the great danger that really was before them because in that time of goodness is that not when we're most tempted to maybe head towards the world? We kind of forget that there's a danger to being in this world and not of it. There is a danger that lurks in your lives and in mine. It comes in all kinds of forms. It can be those things that maybe attract our eye or attract our hand, maybe might even attract our head and hearts things that we know the Lord isn't really wanting us to do, but things are so good that we think we actually have the blessing of God in some form of behavior that may even be sinful. Well, He hasn't punished me. He's not knocking me back on my heels as I do this thing, this liberty that I'm taking. You see, there's great danger when things are going really, really well. We need to be careful. We need to be watchful. And to counteract this danger, Joshua is going to give them three very strong motivations for being a separated people. And he's going to do that in a way by simply addressing their conditions that they've had throughout their history. The first thing he addresses as he addresses their past, their present, and their future is what the Lord did for Israel. Now for us, of course, we look at it slightly differently. We look at it what the Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus. But it is the same basic principle that we look to now. As we move on to verse 3. For you have seen all that the Lord your God, and notice that, underline it if you want to, the Lord your God, Yahweh Adonai, Elohim Adonai, the Lord your God, the wonderful Creator God, Master of everything, who's been for you and not against you, who loves you, who's been there in every moment of your existence. God was with them in the wilderness, amen? God was with them in Egypt in bondage, amen? And God is with them now as they're in in this promised land in Canaan. But see, sometimes we forget what God has done in the past, don't we? We forget how He's delivered us. We forget how He's cared for us. We forget the days of manna. We forget that God has not forsaken us. We forget that He's taken the bitter waters and made them sweet. We forget, we forget, we forget. And when we forget, sometimes we're tempted to not think on the Lord as we should. We begin to wonder if He somehow lost us. Maybe He dropped us along the way somewhere. For you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who fought for you. See, I have divided you by lot to these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all of the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. He's basically saying to them, look around you. Do you remember what I did at Jericho? Do you remember what I did at Gilboa? Do you remember how I even redeemed you at Ai? Do you remember what happened when you crossed the Jordan? I held the river back. Do you understand that I've been for you all this time and none of the things that you have seen happen have you done of yourself? It's been me. Your past is filled with, With the hand of God. He basically reviews history for them. Those Gentile nations were God's enemies. And because Israel was God's people, they were Israel's enemies. But they were God's enemies. They were pagans. They hated God. That's why they responded to Israel the way they did. And sometimes we think people hate us, don't we? When in fact what they really hate is the God that we stand for. What they really hate is that we actually stand for Christ. What they really don't like is the fact that our lives are actually different than theirs and immeasurably better. And so there is hatred that comes to us as the church because people are God's enemies. How do you explain four guys in a citron pulling up in front of a of a cartoon center for a newspaper and killing 12 innocent people while shouting Alua akbar there is evil in this world and people hate yahweh adonai They're not going to like you either at times. And the same God that overcame the enemies of Israel, He was there in the past, He was there then, and He would be there in the future, will defeat the enemies that, that lurk ahead. You know, sometimes when we worry, is not worry an actual mistrust of God? Is not worry at times a lack of faith? Is not worry at times we saying to the God who created us, maybe this time you won't save me? You see, that was the nation Israel as well. They were okay when the victory was sure at Jericho. And so they disregarded that God had any part in it and went to Ai and they were defeated. And so they did not trust God. They did not believe God for what God had said. Because God had told them, this is your land, go possess it. Amen? God has given you a land. God has given us a land. God has given us the very power that created the universe as a signator, as a guarantee. For the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit that is the energizing force behind the creation rests in every believer, every true believer. God had never failed his people. Even when they thought he had failed, he had not failed. Even when bad things came upon good people, God was still good and had not failed. You see, we're so performance-oriented in our Western world that we look at bad things as somehow God has found disfavor with us. Could I suggest to you that perhaps the Lord is allowing a trial in your life? Because He wants to grow you, He wants to strengthen you, He wants to use you in a new and a fresh way, a way that you are not ready to be used in and thereby need to be tested yet a bit further. He has surely done it to me. Notice it says, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. It's a good reminder for us today. As T. Pearson said, great historian of the church, Presbyterian missionary, History is his story. History is his story. It's the story of God, his faithfulness throughout generations. We can expect him to be faithful. He was faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the next time, which is the present. And notice how he moves on now. This is what he said to Israel. He had already shown what he had done. What he did means it's already done. Amen? Now look at what he said to Israel. Verse 6, And therefore, Don't you love that word? When God gives us previous instruction, when he says, Look, look how I've been in the past to you. Look what I've done for you. Have I not been gracious? Have I not been good? Have I not delivered you? And then he says, Therefore, because of looking back towards understanding what God had done in the past and believing it to be true, to reckon it to be so, to account it, to put it in that column and say, God you are, not God you might, God you are good. God, you always will be my defense and my fortress and my strong tower, and you are my shield and my mighty one in whom I can trust. You see, it's believing what God has said. And therefore, be very courageous. Two, he gives them something to do. Keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses lest you should turn aside from it to the right hand, to the left. He says, look, here's the responsible thing I'm asking of you. In light of who I am, have I not been good to you and have not my words provided you with the victory? Have I not said what I would do and then done it? Would you please keep my word? Would you actually do what I tell you to do? Have I not been good? Have I not delivered you? Lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. Remember the Gibeonites? Didn't quite get rid of all of them. They kind of failed to do some of the things that God had asked them to do. He says, look, you guys are in mortal peril at times. Perilous peril. Peril. peril it's a dangerous place so much so that Jesus would tell the disciples look I send you out as sheep among the wolves amen lambs to the slaughter amen it's a rough world out there it's a rough world today it was a rough world then and so he says would you keep my commandments don't turn to the right or to the left You shall not make make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. In other words, when I leave, don't change how you live. I've shared with you many times, and when your brother, Pastor Chet,'s back there, and Manny's back there, and Ian's back there, we've ministered together. Pastor Chet's from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, so you guys can say hi to him after service. But there are many, many times when we look back and we say, Has not God been good, and, and have you not served him to this day? And then a great leader is gone. steps out of the pages of time and into eternity maybe there's a difficulty and something happens but we never served the man we served the Lord and God didn't die Steve Mace is in heaven Pastor Chuck's in heaven You see, sometimes we look so much to people that we forget it's God that's been good today. It's God we serve today. We've been serving Him all along. We can still serve Him today. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you... No one has been able to stand against you to this day. He's already told them why. For it's the Lord who's fought for you. Amen. So if no one's been able to stand against us, no weapon fashioned against us will prosper. Amen. There is no weapon that's fashioned against us that can prosper. There isn't any. For what can separate you from the love of God? Famine, peril, sword, none of these things shall move me. You see, what he's saying is simply do what God's asked you to do and remember what he's already done. They've been driven out. But as for you, no one's been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you, one rightly believing person, shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Now think about that for a minute. So I was studying this afternoon, I think it was just shortly after lunchtime, it was noon or something. I was thinking on the secrets to Joshua's successes And you know, honestly, there's not one military secret to his successes. Have you seen that throughout this? There was no great military strategy. There was no intellectual property he needed to protect. There wasn't some great battle manual that he had written. He did exactly one thing. He listened to God. He talked to God and he listened to God. That's it. It's a pretty simple thing. And yet, isn't it hard to do? Don't we turn to most everything else? Don't we sometimes, you know, we go grab the next great book that somebody's written on some subject we're struggling with? And again, not that those things are bad, but we forget to talk to God. And then we forget to do what He says. Sometimes we... Actually, willingly, don't talk to him. I don't really want to know. It's always kind of interesting when people come to me and you know they'll ask what the Bible says, and I'll tell them. Well, I don't, I don't want that. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, it, it's what it says. And I've had that, and it's heart wrenching at times. But Joshua's example is. Let's do what he said. We may not understand it first. God ever asked any of you to do things that you didn't quite understand? I got two hands. I'm going to put three hands up and I don't even have a third one. He just was devoted to the word of the Lord. When God spoke, he did it. He obeyed those commandments. He believed God's promises and he worked on God's behalf and God worked on his behalf. You see, it was that devotion. And frankly, folks, we can't do it without being doers of the word. You guys know that James 1 passage. You know what it says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't deceive yourselves. you're just a hearer, eh, not a doer. You're like somebody who looks in the mirror in the morning and says, Man, I look good. You know, you get up. I don't know if you guys, as you get older, you don't have as much hair to have bedhead with. But I have this weird, it's like a mohawk kind of looking thing in the morning. It's... It's kind of frightening, actually. It's like I sleep on one, you know, because when you get older, you can't lay on one side for more than like 30 seconds and you flip over. You can have it like a 27-inch pillow top foam mattress and you still have to flip over kind of thing. But, yeah, you look in the mirror and and, and you can see exactly what the problem is. Dude, you're old. And you go, man, you look good. But, dude, you're old. But you look good. You you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't even see what manner of person you are. You don't see that you're not doing what God's asked you to do. You become self-deceived. You kind of you kind of look at it, go, yeah, I, th- I think I look good. Goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person, what kind of man, what kind of woman we are. But he who looks to the perfect law of liberty continues in it. And it goes on to say at the end of verse 25, this one will be blessed in what he does when we do what God asks us to do. Obedience brings blessing. There's no two ways about it. God kept his promises, and he had every right to expect the children of Israel to do the same, to keep their promises to God. You know, it's interesting to me, because I think we, we don't like to hear this, But some of God's promises are absolutely unconditional. Amen? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is an unconditional promise. That's what you need to do. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God and none of us can boast. Amen? Those are unconditional promises. If you believe, you ask God for faith, you'll be saved. However... Some problems some problems come to us because we believe that all of God's promises are unconditional. And they're not. Many of God's promises are actually very conditional. I will bless you if you keep my commandments. Blessed is he who keeps the commandments of the Lord. You see, sometimes we just simply say, well, I'm one of God's kids so I can do anything I want. Can I tell you that's not taught in Scripture? It's not taught in Scripture. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that I now live, I live unto Him. I am not my own. I was bought and I was paid for with a price. The blood of the Lamb. You see, Israel entered the land, conquered the land. It was a fulfillment of the promises that God had made to them. But their ownership of the land was dependent on obedience. And he says to them, if you do not keep my commandments, I will drive you out. The picture for us in this age of grace is that if you want the good things that God has promised you, Give Him the things He asks of you. Give Him your heart. Give Him your mind. Make a covenant with your eyes. Allow the Lord to heal those hurts, those wounds. Do those things which He asked you to do. They are for your blessing. But don't get angry at God if you are disobedient and He removes those blessings from you. Because he's trying to get your attention, he's trying to get my attention when he does that. God would enable them to claim that inheritance, but that obedience is where they claimed it. When Israel remained a separated people, then they wouldn't be infected by the world. You know, I and I, and I share this with you out of just deep compassion for you. We live in a rancid world, amen? It's a gnarly place out there. And we must make disciples of all men. We need to be out in the world. But you don't need to dip yourself in the sewer to know what sewage smells like. Amen? You don't have to be like people who are in the world. You have to be light to people who are in the world. The world, And that is exactly what's being taught here. Look, be obedient to the Lord, live like Christ wants you to live, and let Him sort out the details of these difficulties that we face. He'll give you wisdom to stay out of things you shouldn't be in. He'll save you from things that you accidentally got engaged in because of no fault of your own. He will also preserve you in those days when it's pretty rough out there. He'll shield your mind and your heart. But what he's really saying to us is, don't get engaged in that gradual disobedience thing. You see, it's not disobedience doesn't just pop up in most people, and probably many of us in this room can give an account of our initial conversion and our time of walking initially with the Lord, which was followed by maybe a time that we call backsliding or falling away or spending some time wandering in the wilderness. It does not happen overnight. It's very gradual. You first start to accept a little bit of compromise here and then a little compromise there and a little behavior that shouldn't be in the person's life who loves the Lord. You begin to entertain things. And in this case, they would go so far as to begin to worship the false gods. And so he he basically says to them, look, you need to hang on. You need to hold fast. You need to not let these things into your life. God is able to deliver us from anything. Amen? Can I tell you he doesn't want to deliver you from everything? He can deliver us from anything, but he does not want to deliver you from everything. God doesn't want to have to constantly be like a a squad waiting in some firehouse somewhere, waiting for the next alarm to go off because you've put yourself in peril. And I attempt to beat no one up here. But you need to help God out, (laughs) quite frankly, by doing what he says. Because he can rescue you. But it's a whole lot easier to rescue somebody when they're two miles down the trail and all they've done is not taken quite enough water. It's easier then than when they're out in the middle of the desert someplace nearly dead. And what he's saying is, be obedient. You worship those false gods pretty soon. You're going to marry people you shouldn't marry. You're going to worship things you shouldn't worship. And how many Christians worship at the same altar as people who don't know the Lord in our world? They're worshipping at the altar of power. They're worshipping at the altar of prestige. They're worshipping at the altar of sexual issues. They're worshipping at the altar of money. They're worshipping at the altar of false gods that cannot save and will not sustain you in the day. And We need to be careful. Because when you start to give your heart away to another god, you may well marry that person, that false god. We hold fast. We all. Let's face it. We all feel the pressures of the world. Amen. If you don't feel the pressures of the world, you need to come over and tell me how to not feel the pressures of the world. We we all feel the pressures of the world, don't we? If you can, if you went Christmas shopping, you know the pressures of the world. These people are possessed. That is not of God. What happens during Christmas time? We feel the pressures of the world. You're sitting there. Uh, Brandon and I were walking through. I think it was an is actually a, a Mac store, and I'm watching people got like ten thousand dollars worth of iPads. It's like I'm thinking, what do you do for round two? You know, if that's what's under your tree at Christmas time, how do you follow that up at birthday? Well, here's a Beamer. <laughs> we feel the pressures of the world. We look at the things the world has, and we go, God, I'd like to have one of those. Christmas time, I always get vehicle envy for some reason. It's all those Christmas commercials where everybody gets, you know, there's a BMW on this guy's lawn and a Ram 1500 on this guy's lawn. And we, we get tempted by the world. Somehow all of the people who were on television at that time could eat 10 pounds of fudge and not gain an ounce. That's from the pit of hell. It's not true. Do not follow that example. But but what I'm saying is is we're tempted and maybe it's a little thing here or a little thing there. It takes courage to stand in the Lord. Takes courage to say no. I'm not I'm not spending five thousand dollars on a credit card just so I can, you know, my kids can go to school and pull out their new iPad. It's hard to do, isn't it? You got all the rest of the kids want to look my iPad. Your kids are going, look, I got a Game Boy. They're like, ah, you're weird, man. Your parents are like in the dark ages. You you see, we should have a desire to please the Lord. And for those of you who are married, you're in here. For those of you who are not married, but maybe you want to be married, and those of you who, you know, you've been married for a very long time, you know what I'm about to say is true. When you find that one that you want to, you believe God's called you to spend your life with, and maybe even if you don't know the Lord, when you find that person that you believe God wants you to be married to, or you just think God wants you to marry, there is nothing you won't do for that person. Amen? Guys are like, they go into full brain dead mode. It's just like, you did what? Well, I drove 850 miles and I had lunch with her. You spent $5,000 in gasoline to go have lunch with your girlfriend in Tennessee? But I love her. You know what I'm saying? We're in love. Realize God would like us to treat Him like that? That we are so in love with Him that we will do anything to show our approval, to show how much we care. To show what he means to us. These are life, amen? We're, we, we are now hidden in Christ Jesus, are we not? You see, Israel was married to Jehovah. We need to hang on. That that phrase there, hold fast, hang on, is the same one that's in Genesis. Cleave be glued to, stuck to, married to. It's tragic when unfaithfulness creeps in in our spiritual lives. And then he speaks about their future. Verse 11 it says, And therefore take careful heed, Those two English words there are actually a single Hebrew word. And it means to attend unto for life. As if your life depends on it. Now I can tell you as a rock climber, backpacker, an enthusiast of all things outdoors, when your life depends on something, you are well tuned in. Amen? First time my friend Ed and I were climbing in Yosemite Valley, we were on one of the faces of El Capitan. And I remember we were about halfway up the slate wall, and it's one of those things to where you just, you know, you have to attend to every detail because the toe holds that you're using are sometimes less than a quarter of an inch. And one wrong move. And you're either going to fall a very long ways and get caught by a rope and maybe break your back, or maybe you're going to break the rope and say hello to Mr. Rocks at the bottom. Things that you would normally not see all of a sudden become huge. You can spot a little nubbin that you wouldn't even notice. It was in front of your face on flat ground, but when you're a 1,000 feet off the valley floor, that thing looks like it's like this big. All of a sudden you're taking heed, careful heed, for yourselves, to yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Or else if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations. In other words, if you turn around, you backslide, you go the wrong way. That remain among you, because we're not out of this world yet, amen? There's still some evil around us, amen? And stuff out there, and you make marriages with them, and you go into them and they to you, you realize what's being said there it's a euphemism, you go have sex. you get very intimate with the things of the world. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive these out of these nations out from before you. He says, I'm not going to take care of your rebelliousness. I'm going to take care of you in obedience. Sometimes it it is a little bit shocking to me sometimes when people look at me like, you know, well, I I didn't know that if I did these things I was going to get in trouble when they knew plainly what the word of the Lord said. Those things remain in their lives. But they shall be snares and traps to you. You see, once you fall into some type of sinful behavior, just like the nation of Israel, they fell into these relationships with foreign gods and with people from other tribes, and they put themselves in harm's way. Once they did that, it got more and more difficult to get out of the trap. It's exactly how it works in our lives. When you engage in sinful behavior, when you engage in things that you know God's not pleased with, it gets more and more difficult to be set free from those things. That's why it's so important that we immediately look at our eyes and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I was displeasing to you. Cleanse me, make me whole. Because I don't want it to become a pattern. That's what this portrays, a pattern. No for certain that the Lord won't take these nations away from you. But they shall be snares to you and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in you. Does those things sound good? Scourges on your side, thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. You see what they lost by falling back into the old ways? They lost the good things that God had given them. None of us want that, we would think. Amen? I don't. I'm sure you don't. It's fairly simple to see what the Lord's asking here. Look, if you want a bright future, do what God says, and don't go back to your old ways. What was the history of the nation Israel? God, you put us out here in the desert to die. Could we not go back to Egypt where we had meat pots and vegetables? They hadn't been across the other side of the Red Sea for ten minutes before they started complaining about the good things that were in the old world. It's a dangerous place to be. Behold, this day I'm going to give you, excuse me. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. He said, "Look, I, I'm I'm human. I'm a man. I'm going to die." And you know, in all of your hearts, and in all of your souls that not one good thing has failed in all of the good things that the lord your god spoke to concerning you he says look i'm going to die and let me remind you with my with my dying breath so to speak nothing that god has ever said has failed not one good thing that god has promised you has he not kept remember that that's your future That's your future. As you look back, you can see what he did. As you look to today, you know what he's doing. And as you look ahead, you can count on what he's already done, being an example of what he will do. Not one of those things has failed. And therefore it shall come to pass, that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God has promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things, until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you, when you transgress the covenant of the Lord, which He commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, and in the anger of the Lord it will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from all the good land which He has given you. He simply reminds each of us that if we obey the Lord, He'll bless us, He'll help us. We disobey Him we can count on getting chastened. Not we might get chastened, we'll get chastened. He'll drive us out of those good things because He does not want us to ever think that those good things came from us and that the bad things have any attraction. We love the Lord, we obey Him, We honor the Lord. We obey Him. Charles Spurgeon wisely said, Lectures to My Students. It's one of these books that we have the guys read as they're working on their pastoral ordination. God won't allow His children to sin successfully because He loves us too much. He doesn't let us sin successfully because He loves us too much. We're always going to be lousy sinners as believers. So the easy way to avoid that is don't do it. Don't engage in it. Moses had warned the nation. Joshua warns the nation. And again, it's not that God isn't good. God is good. But he also desires for us to treat him as though he's good. Amen? God wants us to to honor him. He wants to give us good land. But the least we can do, because he's given us the good land, is to say, Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do what you said. And so he leaves them really with just these three admonitions. Found in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 11. You see, the nation Israel got chastened, didn't they? They were out of the land for 2,000 years, weren't they? We call it the diaspora. They suffered through the Holocaust. And I'm not suggesting that Israel deserved that. I'm suggesting to you that in disobedience and failing to see Jesus Christ as the Messiah, failing to keep his promises, making covenants with foreign gods, doing the very thing that God told them not to do, they have suffered much. They're still largely a secular nation. Most Jews are non-religious. Most. And if they are religious, they're very liberally religious. God has a plan to draw them back. That's what Romans 11 is about. Amen? One day all Israel will be saved. Can I tell you what it is that's going to make that happen? It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be the rise of the Antichrist. You don't want God to have to bring you that type of devastation and destruction to get your attention so that you'll know him and love him. There's an obvious argument here. Basically, he's telling us, do good. Keep God's word. Keep it and hold fast. Continue, cleave to it. And then simply love the Lord. You don't want to be a wayward son or a wayward daughter. You want to carry on. Amen? Hudson Taylor wisely said that if Jesus is not Lord of all, then perhaps he's not Lord at all. That's coming from a man who served for fifty one years in China. He died a pauper. But he brought in by himself some eight hundred missionaries. And he himself, that's why we believe, led nearly twenty thousand Chinese to Christ. Lord of all. And I want to really encourage you, and I hope it is an encouragement. The Lord wants us to obey him, not because he's mad at us, but because he wants to bless us. The Lord doesn't want us to obey him because if we don't, we're going to you know, suffer some consequences. Because if we don't, we won't obtain his greatest good in our lives. The Lord wants us to obey him because he loves us and he wants us to love him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, so grateful for your people. Lord, so grateful for this time. we thank you for the things that you speak to us by your word and pray that, Lord, if there's anything that's been of me tonight, that you just wash it away. And what is good and noble and of a good report, you would cause us to remember. Help us to love you with a whole heart. Help us to serve you with all that we are. Lord, help us to do these things, God. Help us to keep your word. Help us to hold fast to your truth. And help us to love you without reservation. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you for tonight. Pray that you would bless us, Lord. Get us home safely. Cause us to be prosperous for your kingdom this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.